I'm talking about arise and build, or as it says there, let us arise and build, which comes from Nehemiah. Um, I'll read the whole verse, um, and then I'm going to unpack it and um, go a little bit, um, well, I'm going to jump around a little bit in terms of history. We're going for a bit of Bible history, hopefully you don't mind, but we're going to look at Nehemiah 2 verse 18 in the um, New American Standard um, Bible, which is sort of the version that we've used, which has that great phrase at the end. So it says, I told them, this is Nehemiah speaking, how the hand of my God, not the hand of God, to the hand of my God, had been favorable to me. And also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. We're talking about kings, we're talking about building today. Then they said, this is the people, this is the priests, the, 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 the Christians, this is you and me today. Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now, there's, I've just pulled that verse completely out of context. So if you're new, if you've not been here before, I'm going to hopefully help you understand where that verse fits in history, in terms of biblical history, and in terms of where we are as a church. I'm going to do my best. Some of you, you were there on Vision Sunday three, four Sundays ago, so you, you kind of had a head start. So I'm going to try and bring a few people up to speed, and, but then also those that already know where we're going, hopefully you'll get something from this as well. But I want to begin by thinking about building I said from this stage quite a number of times, I'm a big fan, a big passionate fan of the beach. In fact, I would live on the beach if I had the choice. And I think this stems from um, my early childhood. Um, me, my sisters, my dad would, would build things on the beach. It would be sandcastles, it would be sand igloos. Is that, can you even do that? I think you can. Um, it would be, um, you know, you make sand sculptures, I like a good crocodile or a turtle. Um, we'd build a boat, so you dig a big hole, you, build, you put something around, so you'd be in a boat. And the favorite point in the whole day, most times we go on holiday, this would, the, the tide would allow this. But my favorite moment was when the tide would come in and destroy what you just made. You spent all, all day building something, and we would not leave that beach until every last grain of sand from our castle had, got, had gone completely. I, I, I got pleasure out of that. So I enjoy building and I also enjoy destroying. Some of you in the room might be builders. Some of you might be destroyers. But we're all in the kingdom of God. But also, um, again, as a child, you, you, uh, one of my favorite sounds, I can't really replicate it. I wish I'd, I wish I'd brought a prop. My favorite sound, I don't know if you had it in your house, but imagine a plastic box. Plastic, I think we call them curver boxes, like a big chunky plastic box. Now in there is a ton of Lego bricks. And my favorite sound from my childhood was that the floor is full of just odd Lego sets from over the years. And now, as a child, your task is to build something from that rubble. There's something in us as children that enjoys building. There's something in us that is creative as a child. I don't know whether we lose that as adults. Um, I'm not particularly good at building. There's some builders in the room, I know that. But I'm not particularly good at DIY. I'm not particularly good at anything that practical. But this week, well, two weeks ago, man points come my way. I took a radiator off the wall. And two weeks later, I put it back on. <laughs> and I didn't actually cause that much damage. So um, man points... To me, but I'm not that good at building. Something as an adult, unless you're in the building trade, you, you kind of lose that. I want to build something, perhaps. But maybe just for a few moments, we're going to go back into our childhood and build something. But I want to go rewind a little bit because I want to think about this verse we just read about Nehemiah 
says, or he, he encouraged, he asked the people to arise and build. And then they say, let us arise and build. They respond. So what is it in, a, in that building? What, what has gone on beforehand? What has happened that would cause Nehemiah, first of all, to be so passionate and so set on building the walls of Jerusalem and for the people to respond? So I want to go back all the way, all the way back to Genesis, in fact. So we're, going, we're just rewinding a little bit, just painting a picture, laying a foundation, and then I've got a few points to sort of bring us home. Um, and as I say, give somebody an opportunity potentially to respond. But I want to begin with Genesis 22, and this is talking about Abraham, forefather of our faith. It says, God says to Abraham, I will certainly bless you in verse 17. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations, including the United Kingdom of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Now you might be thinking, where am I going with this? You have Abraham. He had a son called Isaac. who had a son called Jacob and who had a son called Joseph. Well, he had 12 sons, but he had a son called Joseph who became sort of prime minister of Egypt. And he had an amazing role in, in sort of, um, well, just the world. <laughs> Huge Role. Then we go from Joseph, he was in Egypt, and then the Israelites all joined him in Egypt, and then they all went into slavery, and then um, they were in you know, captivity, they were treated really poorly, they were in slavery, they were, that's, that's where we're at in terms of the context of, of history. And then we get to this verse, another key character, Moses. So we're going through a few of the key big hitters when it comes to the, the big men of faith, or the big people of faith in the Bible. But Exodus 3 when they're in slavery, the, Egypt, the Israelites are in slavery. Verse 8, God says, So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. You probably heard that phrase before. The land, and now normally I would just skip over this verse and just, you know, this wouldn't make any difference to me. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites... Now live. Where is Jebus? Who are the Jebusites? We'll get onto that in just a moment. So Moses leads the people out of slavery. We're not going to go into a massive detail on what happened because we're going through a huge amount of biblical history. The Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You've probably heard about that as well. Um, I'm reading this because I don't want to miss anything out. God appoints Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Um, now they take over loads of cities, loads of battles, loads of victories. They take over, you know, a huge... So that land that Abraham saw, land that, that Moses saw, the flow of milk and honey, the, the, the land that was so expansive, more than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, they were starting to take hold of these lands. They were starting to win victories. They started to win. And they get to this place called Jebus. They conquer Jebus, but the Benjaminites... I lay claim to the same name. They were so friendly and nice <laughs> that they couldn't actually drive the Jebusites out of the land. So they took over the land, but they just thought, yeah, let's be friends. And just sort of made friends with the Jebusites and lived with them. And that's kind of how history went. And it took <laughs> someone else to take over this land called Jebus, which I think is a great name for a place to live. Jebus. The walls of Jebus. Or Jebus, however you want to phrase it. That was what was formerly known as, sorry, that Jerusalem was formerly known as 
Jebus. This is the same land we're talking about that was way back in Genesis, way back in Exodus, way back in the time, in the second, King David, another key figure of our faith. He eventually captured Jerusalem. Actually, interesting story that, you know, um, Jebus is a, is a heavily sort of fortified area on a big hill. Got natural sort of walls around it already. We're not even talking about walls that have been built. Na- nature built some walls for Jebus. Now, to get into that city, they had, you know, it's very difficult to conquer that city. Now, King David had a master plan. Um, because the, the, that area's water supply was outside of the city perimeter, outside of the walls, they climbed through the, 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 the piping, the plumbing, to get into the city, and they took the city. They Eventually, David made Jebus, or Jerusalem, his capital city, which is the city that we're talking about in Nehemiah's time. So they've gone a long, long way. They've done a lot, the Israelites, to get to this city that they had as their own, and it's been taken away from them. And then we get to Solomon, David's son. Now, again, another verse that I would normally read over, and I'm just going to show it to you. It's from 1 Kings. It's, it's a verse that just almost seems ins- insignificant. But it stood out to me when I was thinking about uh, the walls of Jerusalem this time around. It says that in chapter 9, this is King Solomon, a man full of wisdom. He was the son of King David, a man after God's own heart. And it says this. This is the account of the forced labor, the slavery that Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple. So as if they hadn't forgotten that they themselves, the Israelites, many years before had been in slavery. Now King Solomon, I don't know what had gone wrong. Later on we find out that King Solomon had many, many wives, many, many pagan wives. These wives took him away from God, took the people of God away from God. But I just thought, Forced labor. We're talking today about uh, let us arise and build. It's a willing declaration that I am going to arise and build. In Solomon's time, when the first temple was built, he made people. No one today is making you arise and build. There's no force. There's no strength involved. It's a humble submission. Let us arise and build. So Jerusalem was ruled by a number of kings over 400 years. Some of them were good, some of them bad. But they led, eventually led the people of God away from God. God sent prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. He sent prophets to warn people that if you don't put your ideas up, people, I'm going to destroy that city that you call your own. But the Israelites were so cocky. They, they, they knew that the, you know, God had promised Abraham. They knew that God had promised Moses, Jacob, all, the, all their forefathers. They knew the history. And they were cocky. They were almost as if we don't need God anymore because he's called us to this place. This is our land. It is fortified. We cannot do any wrong. The temple will protect us. But not long after that, a king called Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed he, he came and burnt the walls down. He came and knocked the walls down. He killed people. He ransacked the whole city. And the land was laid desolate for 70 years. And any survivors were then taken captive to Babylon. So this is the story. It's our story. Why did I start all the way back in Genesis? I'm actually going to go all the way to Revelation in, in, in 27 minutes. But we've it's our story. Nehemiah, arise and build. It's part of our, 
I dare I say the word religion, that's not what I mean, but it's part of who we are, it's our faith, it's our theology, this is where we are, this is who we are, it's, okay, we might not live in the, the Jerusalem now, we may not have walls around us, but we are part of the same call of God, we are part of the same um, call of God that was on Abraham's life, every descendant, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, you are one of them. So why should we arise and build? I've got three answers for you. One from, looking, one from looking back to your past. One from looking, I guess, down or straight ahead, your present. One looking ahead to your future. Hopefully you can get where I'm going with this message. Let's begin in the, in the logical place of our past, chronological order. So I've talked about Jerusalem's past, but what about your past? What about the condition of your heart? Or the condition of your walls? Or the condition of your city? Let's see what Nehemiah thought when he heard about the condition of, of Jerusalem, his ancestors' home city. The people of God were destined to be there. This, this, in verse chapter 1, verse 3, it says, They said to me, this is Nehemiah speaking, things aren't going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I think even months, I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Isn't it interesting that we're talking about praying and fasting for 21 days? And we're also talking about arising and build. The two go hand in hand. Um, he remembered that his people were chosen all those years, centuries before. My people are chosen. They are the people of God. Nobody can mess with God's chosen people. Nobody can mess with you. You're God's chosen people. But like Nehemiah, look around. Switch on the news. Scan through social media. Our world is broken. If you just take a minute to look back to yesterday, look back to 100 years ago, look back to Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve made a mistake. Our world is full of something called sin. There's rubble, there's mess, there's dirt, there's grime all over. There's a lot of good stuff in the world. I'm not here to paint a really bad picture, but there's when we look back like Nehemiah, we've got a lot to be almost, not ashamed of, but there's a lot that disgraces the people of God. The reputation of, of the church, the reputation of Christianity, the reputation of God for those who aren't people of God. We've got a lot to answer for. The problem is sin. And get this in Isaiah 53 verse 5. Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. Imagine he was a wall. It was like he was being kicked down, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was, the, the walls, the body of Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. But we cannot stay broken. We can't stay there. Nehemiah, I realize we cannot stay broken. Okay, I admit my past is a mess. I admit my forefathers have sinned. I admit that I have sinned, God. But I can't stay broken. I've got to arise and build. How? You might be sitting there. Lou was, you know, talk before that song. You might, be, you might be singing that song with tears in your eye. You might be thinking, how on God's earth? 
am I, given my circumstance right now, going to arise and build? How am I going to pull myself out of the ashes and arise and build? You're thinking about what you've lost. You're thinking about what you personally have suffered. I know this church, people in this church have suffered bereavement. Myself personally, I have suffered bereavement only recently. And I read something during that time. Um, and it's a, I'm going to take a snapshot of a quote from a guy who I have no idea who he is, but he's got great words. His name is Jerry Sitzer. Sitzer? Yeah. It says this, and this, this is just helpful to me. However painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic, like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. So if you're going through suffering right now, or if you have, probably that includes all of us, you're in the best position to arise and build. You're in the most expansive position. In fact, you are the people that have got the furthest to arise from and to. You are in a great position because suffering actually produces good in us, as difficult as suffering at the time is, and I'm not here to knock and, and say, just grow up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying suffering has building properties and purposes in our life. How can suffering do that? Well, our suffering can actually cause us to arise and build. It can cause us to rise up and respond. It's sometimes in our lowest moment. Take a look at Job. He had everything thrown at him. But by the end of Job, God gave Job more, way more than he'd lost. He'd lost everything. Family, he'd lost. He'd suffered many, many bereavements. He'd lost all of his money, even his health. But God, at the end of the, of the book of Job, restored more than he had at the beginning. So our past helps us arise and build. Whatever you've been through, your scars will help you. To rise. Let's look at our present. So let us arise and build in our presence. Again, I mentioned prayer and fasting. That's what Nehemiah did. How did he respond to his suffering? He wept. He prayed. He fasted. This church, we're in a great season because we're about to enter a season of praying and fasting. And from Nehemiah, his praying and fasting resulted in the king giving him permission to have time off work. I mean, just ask your boss just for an extended period of time off work. I doubt they would be as generous <laughs> as the king that Nehemiah faced. But not just that. He, he signed all the documentation. He gave him all the planning permission. He gave him everything he needed, including all the finance to actually do the project. So he paid him to go and do something that he wasn't even employed to go and do. I don't know if... The, I, I can only think that the reason that happened was because Nehemiah prayed and fasted, wept. So if you're in a, in a dark place, in a low place, you're in a good place because so much favor can come your way in the future because it can bring you to your knees. And from that position, God can elevate you to a greater position. The bigger the, the fall, the greater the victory. So that not that it's a competition. Not that you can say, oh, my fall is worse than yours. Or my, my life, my affliction is way worse than yours. Therefore, I'm going to get a better blessing. It's not a competition. But no, if you're in a, in a situation, if you're sat there discouraged today, if you're sat there thinking, how do I get out of this place, this pit? I've hit rock bottom. Rock bottom is the best position to arise and build. 
Look what Nehemiah says. I've read this, but I'll read it again. This is the centerpiece to our focus for this year. Nehemiah 2.17. Um, well, that's 17 to verse 18. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. So he's, this is Nehemiah talking to sort of the, the leaders of the time, the Israelites, the, 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 the Jewish leaders, the, the people that would make things happen, the people that he needed to get on board to arise and build. You know very well what trouble we're in because you're probably there. You are there. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So this is Nehemiah. Let us, come on guys, let's, let's, it's a little bit like Paul and Sarah on, on Vision Sunday. Come on guys, let us arise and build. Yeah, it's, this, is, this, is, this is the vision. Rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God had been on me. Your testimony how gracious God has been to you could really make a difference in other people arising and building. What you've got to say, where you are, where you're sat in this journey called life, your testimony can cause others to follow. Anyway, I'm preaching out of a verse that I'm not. <laughs> um, where am I? Then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes. Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. You know, you might not be the senior pastor of this church, but you, you are a leader. You might not be anything but, you might feel as if you're not anything but a follower. You're just, you, maybe you're even here for the first time. You're like, I don't even know where I fit. I don't even know what this church's name is. I don't know who the pastor is. I don't know what the vision is. But in our life, we're all leaders and we can all be followers. Even Nehemiah was a leader and a follower we can all be leaders and followers so uh, as followers we can respond to the message let's arise and build guys this year as a church we're going to rise and build we're going to we're going to serve we're going to we're going to love this community we're going to be as passionate for Jesus as we possibly can we're going to see this as much as we can this city this nation change let's do something let's arise and build but also you can be a leader so people can follow you as you respond you can set an example, and others respond and follow you. And the more and more people that we have in this church leading, the quicker this will happen. Which leads me to the, another point, which I emphasize. Is they, they replied at once. I don't think there's any time to delay. I don't think we need to sort of hesitate. Okay, you can weigh things up and be wise in certain situations. But I think now is our time as a church. I think now is our time and if we don't arise and build somebody later on will arise and build for us and we've missed it what greater opportunity I at 31 years of age I just can't think of anything better right now than to be involved in a church that is arising and building I you know I've got a few years left before I retire just a few <laughs> but wherever you are on the dem, dem, on the sort of this, the scale of life, you can be, you know, as I mentioned the bereavement. My, my nan recently passed away, and even in those moments of her weakness, even when she was in and out of consciousness, she still had purpose. She still had a way of unifying the rest of the family, bringing the family together. Somehow, my nan had some power and some purpose. So don't tell me that you're on your last second or your last breath. Until your last breath, you are in a position, you're in a great position to arise and build. 
We all need each other. Nehemiah didn't do it on, him, on his own. Imagine Nehemiah did that. He was like, right, I'm going to go and build this church or build these walls all on my tod. He well, he'd probably still be doing it now. But he got a group of people together. And they did it together. We use a key phrase in this church, one another. <laughs> one another ring. We're in, nobody is better than the other person. Just because I'm on stage doesn't mean I'm better than the person that cleans the toilets. In fact, I think that kind of role on the car park, the unseen, the administration, behind the scenes, is way more important than this. It is. Because I get every reward. You, you will congratulate me. You will thank me. You will smile at me. I get all the reward that I need for this. But somebody who's doing something behind the scenes where nobody even thanks them, they're going to get so much more reward in heaven for that one act than this. Let us arise and build. It's a together activity. And then finally, we're actually coming into a close, which gives me a nice bit of time to sort of, if you're sat there thinking, maybe I'm that person that should respond. I'm just giving you another heads up. <laughs> Let's arise and build toward our future. Let's just pick up, fast forward a little bit. Somebody at some point this year will pick up perhaps this verse. But I'm just going to skim it. Um, in Nehemiah 6 verse 15. So on October the 2nd, I love how the NLT just gives you a specific date. Just in case you like dates, you want to put it in your calendar, put your anniversary in. On October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Does it say it on there? Yeah, it does, yeah. Just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of God. Woohoo! The walls have been done. They've achieved their goal. And they all lived happily ever after in the walls of Jerusalem. Everyone just had the best life imaginable. It was a beautiful experience. It was heaven on earth in Jerusalem. In fact, one day I'd like to go and visit that same place right now on a Christian pilgrimage. You might, if you know anything about history, know that actually that wasn't true. <laughs> I made all that up. They didn't actually live or happily Ever, ever, ever after. Since then, Jerusalem's walls have been destroyed over and over again. Since then, you know, they've been expanded, contracted, you know, they've been destroyed, they've been taken over. All sorts of things have happened since then. So Nehemiah's hard work. You, you, you could almost be excused of saying, did that all go to waste? What is the point of this whole thing? And there is a point. That doesn't mean we shouldn't arise and build. In fact, our future should dictate. There's another reason we should arise and build. It's because of our future. You know, actually, even on this day, there's actually an Islamic shrine and a mosque built on the old temple site right now. And you think, oh, my goodness, have we lost? Have we been defeated? Have we, have, have we, what's going on there? Forget this. Even Jesus talked about tearing down the walls. He walked the same land that Nehemiah did. And he said, see these walls? See that temple? See those bricks, those stones? I'm going to tear them down. In three days, I'm going to build them up. Again, he was actually talking about his body, and that did happen. At Easter, Jesus died, he was crucified, his body was, was beaten so that we could have life. He took the punishment for us, he went to a grave, he came back and he rose from the dead three days later. It was like his walls had been broken and beaten down, and then three days later, they were built up again. But that actually happened physically, and in the, in the natural as well. The walls of Jerusalem were destroyed um, a few other times after that. Here's the point about our future. Some walls 
need to be destroyed and knocked down. <laughs> so that new walls can be built on top. Some walls need to be, to be demolished before new, bigger walls can be built. I've got a photograph on screen of my <laughs> nephew, Sebastian. There's me in the background. Um, now, unfortunately, you can't actually see what's behind Seb, but you can see at the top of his head a little tower. Now, I, I, I enjoy playing with children. Um, I enjoy building, as I said at the very beginning. But we're building this tower. And this tower started off at yay high. So, you know, a couple of feet off the ground. And then, as maybe some of your children would do, Sebastian had great pleasure in just knocking it down. And then the game started again. Ben, will you build another tower, but this time bigger? So I, you know, as a, as a follower to my leader, I would submit to my king, and I would build the wall and the tower again, and then he would kick it down, and he would get excited and jump around, and he'd go, I'm going to get a chair, and then he'd say, Ben, can we play again? And then I would build it higher until, well, actually, no, there are a few blocks there. I think I may have gone one stage higher. But that got to the point... <laughs> where Sebastian got great pleasure in knocking down some walls so that something can be built bigger in its place. Now, I'm not saying that what Nehemiah did all those years ago and what we're doing here and now doesn't matter. It does. We're arising and we're building. And what we matters matters today. But there's something coming in the future that is even greater than the past, that is even greater than our present right now. If we arise and build today, something bigger will happen. Something in eternity. This is why at the very beginning of my message, I talked about maybe someone in this room, you want to make a decision to knock some walls down from your past and you want to make a decision to build a new wall. Now these walls won't be ever destroyed. These walls will last for eternity as a Christian. So that's who I'm talking to right now. But I think we can all respond in some way. And in a minute, I'm going to read a scripture that we can all respond to. But I'm going to pray and then if, I'm going to ask somebody or ask everybody to, if anybody in the room wants to respond, then you can. And somebody will pray for you. We've got people in this church that will be delighted to stand or sit with you and just pray and ask Jesus to walk with you and for you to become a Christian a follower of Jesus right here right now and I'm going to pray and then we'll do it Lord we thank you for today thank you for this church thank you for this message this, this story of Nehemiah arising and building God out of disgrace out of desperation out of disgrace and, and all the sin and all the, all the things that his ancestors had done even himself had done God is past. And God, we lay before you our past, the decisions that each of every one of us have made. God, the sin that each and every one of us have committed. God, and we take responsibility for that. But God, we also know that we cannot do anything with that. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot become a Christian, Jesus, without you doing something. But thank you, Jesus, that you did that. You went to the cross so that the punishment that we deserved for our sin would not be put on us, but was put on Jesus. 
So Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you, you died, you were punished, you, you shed blood, your body was broken, your walls were knocked down, but they were rebuilt as you rose again in three days. And I pray people in this church right now would rise again. God, that new life would come, new birth would come. God, that people, God, in their heart of hearts, as I say these words, God, in their hearts, would you be speaking to them? In their hearts, would something rise up? God, that they would see and experience the touch of a living God. And God, from this day forward, it may not be perfect. You don't promise perfection. You don't promise an easy life. You actually promise challenges along the way. But God, if there's anyone in this room right now who wants to make that decision to follow you, I pray, Jesus, that they would have the confidence to do that. Right here, right now.